Purloin Pollies and Cut Purse Kitty Cats. Practice your prettiest Prometheus pose, sort out your skeleton keys, and I swear, just this one last big podcast, then we'll retire for good. Yeah, and no one will know it was talk told to me. Welcome back, I am Omen Thomas Sade. And I am Nick McGill. Together we are that desperately wanted pair, the Feckless Moms. And this, my Bonnies and my Clydes, is Talk Tall to Me. A kleptomaniacal skulk behind the locked doors of Prog Rock, in which knife up the sleeve, Nick, and open up that safe omen. We'll slowly dig a tunnel underneath each and every tempting track that Robber Baron rock band Jethro Tull have ever placed under lock and key. We will declare the fullness of Doan Perry's donation duffel bag, purloin a pile of David Pegg's pearls, and marauding by moonlight, make off with Maarten Alcock's money bags. Maarten Alcock. And as we lurk in fear of the vigilante virtuoso with the constable of the cadenza, the bluesy Bobby, we will hear a voice deep within our superstitious souls saying, The weed of crime bears bitter fruit. Crime does not pay. Ian Anderson knows. <laughs> Ian Anderson doesn't pay. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> we do not have proof. Did you ever listen to that old radio show, The Shadow? I think I had it on in, for background noise. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? Yeah. The Shadow knows. That was tuned to yesterday on WRVO. Yeah, the, yes, yeah, yes, it was. New York, yeah. Yeah, the, the weed of crime bears bitter fruit is one of the show's catchphrases or taglines. Gotcha. It works. Big inspo for me as a kid. I wanted to be the shadow. Did you? Lamont Cranston, by day, a rich playboy around town. But by night, he becomes the shadow. Did you ever see the terrible, like, 1990s movie of that with, I think, Alec Baldwin in it? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. It was one of the Baldwins. I'm not sure which one. Difficult to adapt. His superpower translates very well to radio and maybe well to comics, but I think it's quite difficult to do in, in a cinemagraphic uh, milieu. I just remember a, a knife with like a, a face that would bite things and like it was oh, like flying yeah. around. I don't yeah, know if yeah, they yeah. had like telekinesis or, I don't know. Yeah. Speaking of which, Nick, we are going to commit the heinous crime today of talking tall to me. Are you ready? I'm ready to do the time for the crime. <laughs> Well, let's do the crime first. Okay, and then we'll see how it goes. Today, we are talking about one of my favorite tracks off of the album Rock Island. Really? It is. It is the second to last track. It is track number 19. Nope, nope, take minus 10. It is track number nine, <laughs> Big Riff and Mando. Oh, I thought it was track 10. No, we've got Strange Avenues after that. Shucks a Rooney. Okay. Well, I'm very excited to talk about Big Riff and the Mando. Nick, shall we go ahead and take a listen? Let us do just that. 
woman. Oh. <laughs> Don't sneak up on me like that. Oh, so sorry. I, I snuck in while you were gone. <laughs> Can you tell me, unless it's diverging too far into the context of the song, why this is your favorite song off of this album? Oh, I, I can, yeah. But I won't. <laughs> but, but I refuse. This, I love that this song is just a straight-up story. It's so rare. When's the last time we had something like this? It's hard to say. It's not that this is devoid of poetry, but it is a narrative about a thing that happened. There are a clear set of characters. There is a clear arc. And it's a great freaking story. It's a true story on top of that. And even if it weren't, it is so well told that it feels like a true story. According to Ian, I have a quote saying, The song Big Riff and Mando reflects life on the road for the relentlessly touring musicians, giving a wry account of the theft of Barr's prized mandolin by a stage-struck fan. Wow. So maybe not the really like in-depth part of the story in the second half? Maybe, though. I don't know, yeah, but at least the absconding of the mandolin has some basis in truth. The specificity of this story makes it seem like a real thing that happened. Yeah, it does. You know, there's it has that quality of like, you couldn't make it up. It's too just odd. It's so bizarre. There's a movie called The Death of Stalin. It's about the, about when Stalin died of a stroke and then like the rest of the party beneath him like tried to take power. Yeah. It's a comedy. It's got like Steve Buscemi in it. It's very funny. Oh, wow. It's on Hulu. I highly recommend it. Okay. But in reading like the notes and the trivia about it, there were several instances where like this actually happened in real life, but the director didn't think it was believable enough, so they cut it out of the script. What does Shakespeare say? If this were played upon a stage, it would be decried as a bullshit. As a bullshit. As a bullshit. As yeah. a as a deplorable fiction. Yeah. Yeah. I also really love it musically. I love the contrast between the hard electric rock elements and the softer acoustic sounds. Mm -hmm. Just going from a strict musical perspective, it has a lot of fun variation. It's long enough where it allows you to really get into it. It has some great surprises and changes of rhythm and tempo. It's also all in 4-4, which makes it a pretty easy song to listen to yep. and kind of groove out to, as it were. Yeah. I also think the vocal lines are fantastic. It's fun to like sing along to. It is. It's very singable. Going back to length, six minutes, it's another on the longer side. This album is really like has some fleshed out songs. Mostly in the second half. If yes. you were to try to balance this album in its center, it would topple over. The second half would definitely outweigh it, yeah. Because her ass is fat. <laughs> I, can't, I, I don't have anything to respond to that. Nick, why don't we talk about the musical elements of this song? Yes. I mentioned it's in 4-4. We mentioned the kind of juxtaposition of the hard rock mm. and the acoustic. What else do we have? This is kind of the Martin show. Assuming that Martin is playing the mandolin here, which would be a crime if he's not. A crime worse than the theft <laughs> of the mandolin. In those juxtapositions, we've got Martin playing the prized mandolin that he loves, and in those 
those times where it's stolen, he gets that really angry, like, gung, 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 gung. Oh, that's really funny. Got the really hard, ripping guitar. I don't know why, but I had actually never considered who was playing the mandolin in this song. <laughs> did you just assume it was Martin? Or did you assume it was Ian? I didn't. I didn't was, even cross no, my mind. <laughs> because it could, it actually, it could be Ian. It could be Martin. It Peggy. could be David Pegg. Yeah, you're right. And Martin is not credited with playing mandolin on this album. Oh my God, you're right. So it may be David Pegg. Yeah, let's see. Peggy's got mandolin. Ian's got mandolin. Martin just has acoustic guitar and electric electric guitar. It's very funny. It also makes me wonder, in a live situation, obviously Martin is playing the electric guitar, so someone else has to play the mandolin. Sure, yeah. That could be, you know, when they're touring this album, it could be Martin Alcock. Right, that's true. I could see this being a Peggy, though, I think. They've got a lot of choices. You know, what's interesting, and maybe we'll talk a little bit more about this next week, but Ian has really assembled a group of multi-instrumentalists. Yeah. We'll talk more about Martin Alcock next week. But, you know, when we start to think about this being played live, there's a lot of different instrumentation combinations you could make. If it ever was, should we check the old tall song stats? It's been a long time. It's been a long time. Why don't we do that? Yeah, let me see. Big Riff and Mando. 47 times. 47 times. All in 1989. <laughs> not surprised. Okay, there you go. So it was toured along with this album and then not yep. retoured after. Surprising to me. I mean, I guess it feels like it could be a legit, a good... Play Big Riff and Mando! <laughs> Play Big Riff! I don't know. It feels oddly specific enough that it's like mm. would it be a good concert song but musically i think it would make a great concert song but i agree it is perhaps so specific that ian didn't feel that it aged well it's so hard to know it's so hard to know so you mentioned that this is the, the martin show i definitely think that there are there's a big variety of guitar sounds in this oh, yeah. song. Mm -hmm. He's playing on a lot of different settings. There's also something really specific that I want to point out because I think it is just brilliant. And normally we don't talk about the lyrics, but I, it's super relevant. There is the line, swap a woodwork rhythm for a humbucking top line. Mm -hmm. That's a reference to the mandolin versus the electric guitar. Correct. And in... The song, we have these wonderful instances where Martin will play the electric guitar and he'll do a hammer-on technique. So he'll play the note and then he'll go wow 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 wow. So he's you know you're holding down the string here and then you're you're hammering on and off mm. with your next finger. So it's it's going and it replicates in a way or it translates the sound of the tremolo yeah. of the mandolin. And often they'll juxtapose. So you hear Martin go, -da 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 -da, and then you'll hear the mandolin go. -da 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 -da. And when Martin does that hammer on, it sounds so angry. <laughs> and I think it's so funny. Because he wants the tremolo, and that's the only way he can do it. Is with <laughs> Imagine. Oh my gosh. I think it's so funny. So we have that at a number of different times. There are some instances of flute in here but they are definitely in the background they're definitely 
playing second fiddle to second flutal, second flutal to that. Hand me that second flutal, would you? <laughs> they're they're playing second flute to that bum 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 because most of the time it's that riff on the flute. It's really accompaniment here. It's not taking that forefront. I think it adds to that sense of acousticness. Sure. Oh, yeah. It deepens the acoustic sound that we have coming in and out. Yeah. You know, I don't actually have that much to say about this song musically. I, I think it's fantastic. Yeah. There is a section that I'm interested in. Around 2.30, we have our first instrumental breakdown. Mm-hmm. And there's some beautiful, subtle synth in the background. Mostly it's a repetition of the theme or variations on the theme. But then at a certain point within that breakdown, we get a little bit of a Celtic moment. Mm-hmm. And I had always set this song in Eastern Europe for some reason. No evidence to support that at all. But in my mind, I was always just like, it makes sense it's in Eastern Europe. But there's no evidence against it either. Right. You know, there's really nothing geographically significant here. But that little Celtic moment made me think, could this have been during an Ireland leg of the tour? Ooh, yeah. Which lends a lot more feeling behind the line. I've got a proposition for those English boys. And then around five minutes, we also have a really fun decomposition of the theme. That bum 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 bum. They take that pattern and they go up a half step a couple times. Yeah. Oh, and that wonderful drum sequence behind it. We have Don Perry doing a really lot of fun kind of solo-y, cadenza-y stuff, mm-hmm. really riffing it out behind that build. And it's great. And throughout the rest of it, he really, pun minorly intended, he really hammers out that riff behind the, the gun, 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 you can just hear him hammering the shit out of the toms. Yes. Oh, yeah. The really heavy, hard parts in this song are really potent and really, really great. And it does work very well with the idea of the soft and, and the hard, those changes throughout the song, which honestly has been this whole album has been really well orchestrated versions of hard and soft, angry and less angry, the hard knocks of life versus things that you enjoy or things that are pleasurable. All of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of a theme with tall. Also, that's like basic dynamics, right? Like in music, you need, you need the range. Mm -hmm. If you think of, as I often do, if you think of Snoop Dogg, Felix Mendelssohn's, Oh. oh, If you think about Felix Mendelssohn and the Midsummer Night's Dream suite, Mm. you have that whole first section is so soft. 
So that when it comes in with that heavier part, it blows your rig back. And then it goes back. It wouldn't be so effective if that was all played at the same volume. Yeah, absolutely. Because contrast. We need it. Dynamics. Yeah. Dynamics. Well done. Are there any dynamics in Snoop Dogg? I mean, there must be, right? Uh, you know... <laughs> I, like, I'm sure... <laughs> I'm sure there are, but I think, I think it's different. I think it might be different. Sure, yeah. His big thing is rhythm. Hmm. He plays, I think, more with rhythm than with dynamics. Usually it's cranked loud. Right, but there can be a dynamic in rhythmic representation as well. Fast and slow, yes. Yeah. But in terms of the volume, as he says in his song, Big Subwoofer, big subwoofer in the back, like, what up, blow the windows out the frame, it's a party when I pull up. Big subwoofer in the back, like, what's up, blow the windows out the frame, it's a party when I pull up. Nick, welcome to the tuning break. We have to tune the mandolins of our hearts. While we are getting tuned up, is there anything that we have to spack about? A couple things. I have a note, I have a YouTube comment, and we have album art. So we'll rip right through it. It's our regular smorgasbord. Everyone, bear with me. I know we've got some nerdy listeners out there. Most of you are not. Bear with me. There's a podcast out there a podcast, lame. Released by DC called The Flash Escape the Midnight Circus. It was a short run. It wasn't that great, but I listened to it the other day. So Barry Allen, The Flash, goes into this alternate universe, and he's in this kind of like epic fighting dome, and he's got to fight these other people, but their fighting is like winning a poker game or doing a trivia contest or something. It's very wacky. It's very silly. Okay. One of the challenges is... A musical challenge. Okay. So Captain Cold, Leonard Snart, is one of the people. And then the Pied Piper is the other person. The Pied Piper is playing his flute. Uh -huh. And when he's done, Leonard Snart comes up and does a rap in which he references Jethro Tull because of the flute. Wow. Okay, I was really wondering what the relevance yeah. of this was. And what is the what is the sick diss that he drops on the Pied Piper that references the Jethro Tull flute? He literally just says, like Jethro Tull. Here comes little Pied Piper, thinky Jethro Tull. It is the second to last episode. It's called Cyclotron Don, if anyone is interested. It's the one that dropped on 72423. It's cute. It's funny. It's pretty insubstantial. There's not much to the story itself, but just a tall reference out in the wild, you know? more and more rare. Thank you for that journey. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Next up, we have a comment on our episode from, I believe, just this past episode, which was Undressed to Kill. Undressed to Kill, yes, it was. So we have a new commenter on YouTube. Oh. This is from Ray Bretman 9618 Hey, Ray Bretman. And they write, the two or three tracks I've heard you two review, I don't want to get carried away, and then there's a wall of text. 
So <laughs> thank you, Ray Bretman, for the essay. I'm going to pick and choose here. <laughs> Glad they didn't get carried away. <laughs> yes, if that's not carried away, oh boy. But you do bring joy to a 67-year-old Tull fan's heart. Clever wit, likable, Tull fans of an advanced level, all highly desirable traits to me. That you manage to find an hour for what seems like every track in the Tull catalog, or at least with that intent, and actually be entertaining in the process and not embarrass me, most remarkable. (laughs) (laughs) Ray Bretman, we only seek to embarrass ourselves. So he states that back in the in 82 83 85 era he visited the Isle of Skye and had a conversation with Ian in 83 his farm manager picked me up hitchhiking in 85 and told me these words about Ian I've never forgotten quote I could not imagine working for a finer gentleman oh yeah yeah that's so sweet. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's so rare that we get those like first person interactions with Ian. That's really nice to hear. You know, it's the don't ever meet your heroes thing. You know, I'm terrified of ever meeting Ian because I feel like he will be just the curmudgeonliest of curmudgeons. And I feel like that is my future, that I'm looking into the future to see what I'm going to be. But hearing this, and granted, this was like 30 years ago, but it's really nice to hear that. It's really, really nice to hear that, that first, well, secondhand from you, but firsthand that he could not imagine working for a finer gentleman. I love that. And thank you so much for commenting on the YouTubes. Yeah. And glad you're enjoying listening to our humble little pod. We work hard in the pod fields all day to bring you these jewels of speech. These nuggets of wisdom and nuggets of inanity. And finally, this is the second to last episode, which means we are covering album art. Album art. I have in front of me the vinyl. I'm going to pull out the sleeve, actually. We're going to cover that first because that's a lot less to talk about. We've got on the front of the sleeve... First of all, it's it's a tan. It's a yellow tan with mostly lyrics, but we've got ourselves on the front a mysterious looking shot of the boys in the band, Ian in his nice fedora, Ooh. kind of from an, an up angle looking down. It's black and white. Oh yeah, like they're like they're on a staircase and almost with some corrugated iron, like they're in a back alleyway. Yeah, it does. It looks like the camera is On a rooftop almost, yeah. It's a great shot, though. Very mysterious. They're front lit, so you've got some shadow in the back. Everybody in their dark suits. Very nice shot. Very nice shot. And on the back, we have the rest of the lyrics as well as our standard. So we've got the lyrics, and in the bottom middle, we've got a white box with some info in it and a tan outline. Hmm. Is that... Look at that. Is that, like, Scotland? Yeah, it does look like Scotland. Okay. Looks like the Highlands. Yeah, so we've got kind of like a footprint of the island with all of its coves and things. Which is very relevant to all the Scottish-inspired, all the Highlands-inspired tracks on this album. Sure. The theme. We've got our personnel here, everybody that we've already covered, produced and engineered by Ian Anderson, tracks mixed by Ian Anderson and Tim Mathier, assisted by Martin Barr and Mark Tucker. All of those names sound familiar. Yes, yes. Recorded at Ian's place. (laughs) Is that all it says? 
That's what it says. Oh, funny. Pre-production and most drum tracks recorded at Dave Pegg's Woodworms Studio. Interesting. All songs written by Ian Anderson, published by Chrysalis Music, ASCAP. Color illustration by Martin Morris, which I'm assuming is the front cover. Mm-hmm. Line illustration by Jim Gibson, which is on the back, which we'll cover. Art direction by John Pash. Special thanks to Pearl Flutes, Sure Microphones, Paste Cymbals, Tama Drums, Randall Amplification, Labella Strings, Dolby Labs UK, Project Electronics, Central Information, and A New Day Tull Magazine, available from David Reese, 37 Chaucer Road, Farnborough Hans, GU148SP, England. So why do they, I think I've seen that before, thanks Tama Drums and this and that. Do they get free swag? Who knows? Do they get free instruments if they say that? You know, maybe this was just the trend of the time. Maybe they were trying to build more relationships with the actual manufacturers. I mean, yeah. maybe that's just for the gearheads out there. Yeah. Oh, I wonder what their chords were. Yeah. Or to brag almost like, hey, we're using Sure microphones, you know, like we're, we've got the top notch. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. To the front of the album itself. I love it. It's a strange melange here. It's clearly like a porthole. That's the central image, right? Yeah. In the middle. A brass porthole. The key on the left-hand side to open it inward. Yep. Above and below are like plaques screwed into the wood that says Jethro Tull on top and Rock Island on bottom. Why is there a plaque around a porthole? Like, that's just a strange design choice. It all reminds me of stuff that you might find on the interior of a ship. Mm. So those plaques remind me of like the nameplate of a ship or maybe the nameplate that you would put on your front door. Yeah, okay. I agree. It is a little bit of a... It is a little bit of an odd juxtaposition of images, but it's, I almost feel it's more about the material than the images themselves. Yeah. That that beautiful brass hammered carved look. Yeah. 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 The design, it's really palpable. Like it all looks very good and very accurate. Looking out of the porthole, first of all, there are some water droplets on the glass, which is a nice, nice touch. Yes. Yes. We've got what looks like a cloudy sunset happening in the background, kind of a a bit of a tumultuous wave around this island of rock with a fist made of stone gripping a a, a massive flute, presumably also made of stone. Little Lady of the Lake-ish. Yeah, yeah. Hoisting Excalibur out of the lake. Ian of the Lock, yeah. And then the the last thing I want to know is... The entire background is a, is a wood grain. Yes. But you can see right there. The seam down the middle, yep. Going horizontally down the middle, left to right. It's not a seamless wood grain. It's like they've put two pieces of wood grain imagery together and just said, meh, we won't use the blur tool in Photoshop. We'll just make it work. No, but that's actually a reference to a woodworking technique oh okay so what they've done is they've taken one cross section of wood and where all the grain is exposed and then what you would do is you would take that board and you would slice it in half so that you get the same grain on both sides of the board yep then you open it up so that the grains match in the middle so you can so you can see the grain and it's patterned in an exposed way Mm -hmm. that's a whole technique of woodworking that you can see in all kinds of really, really, really fine furniture making. Okay. So it's, I think it's a brilliant reference to that specific technique. Okay. I hope you're right. 
I hope you're right. But then again, in 89, like, what are you doing for Photoshop, really? I mean, was Photoshop around back then? I don't know, probably not. How are you digitally creating this? Or did they just find a place where that wood technique had been done and photograph it and then layer everything else on top of it? I mean, I, I guess it could be a photograph. I don't know. I have my doubts. And flipping around to the back, we've got that referenced line drawing in the back. So it is a gorgeous, it's a very beautiful compass rose with a great Florida Lee at the very top. Ooh. And instead of the cardinal points, we've got T-U-L-L. And in the middle is that image of the fist in the rock island. Oh, that's amazing. Quick, navigate us L by LL. <laughs> You mean L or L? Oh, no, we crashed. Yeah, that's lovely. I mean, if I had to get a tall tattoo, that's not a bad one to get. It's actually, it's if really If you had pretty. to get another tall tattoo. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the album art. I think it's a good looking album. It's, you know, it is a little bit of a simpler design in a way than some of the stuff that we've seen in the past, but it's going toward the more iconographic imagery that we see in the future. Yeah. Yeah, and, I and I love the juxtaposition of the different materials there, the brass and the, yeah. the wood grains. I think it's lovely. They are illustrated very well. I think it's like, it's so close to being borderline cheesy, I think. What you have to remember, it was almost 1990. Yeah, right, exactly, exactly. The cheese was strong. It's still significantly better than Rupee's Dance. How dare you? Ruby's Dance's album is wonderful. No, no, not the album. album. The al Ian with like a little yeah. animated cat down on the bottom. <laughs> I love it. It's so cute. <laughs> He's dancing with a kitty cat. It's of its time and it's delightful. Welcome back to the pod. We are going to talk about the lyrics of Big Riff and Mando. Let's do it. Let's do it. So the great thing about this is, as we discussed, it's based on a true story. Yep. We don't know if all the details are from the truth, what has been embellished upon, but that's the great thing about a true story is that it doesn't have to be that true. It's the structure. It's the scaffolding upon which you build an actual interesting story. A great story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Marty loved the sound of the stolen mandolin. Marty loved the sound of the stolen Okay, so before we get deep into this, it's wonderful that we have a reference to another bandmate in this song. They're not so unusual, but they're a little far and few between. What's the last one, Fat Man? I mean, they're, they're pretty rare. Michael Collins, Jeffrey, and me? Yeah. Play it for me, Martin! Yeah, that's, see, I was thinking that one, but I mean, that's not technically... Yeah, 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 in the lyrics. That's fourth wall breaking, you know, that's like, oh, we have other people in the band. It's not like hermetically sealed, but an actual reference. Right, right, right. However, Michael Collins, Jeffrey, and me, Jeffrey wasn't even in the band at that point. Big Boy Doan is a drummer. He don't play no tambourine. That's later on. Oh, yeah. That's later on, though, yep. But let's talk about the relationship of between musicians and their instruments. We, even before we get into that, I just want to point out, he calls him Marty. I just love that. I just love it so oh, much. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yes, musicians and instruments. There is no relationship more obsessive, more possessive, more passionate, more intimate than that between a musician and a stringed instrument. 
And the more strings, the more intimate it is. <laughs> because the more time you spend tuning the damn thing, when you play an instrument and when that is, you know, a part of your everyday existence, a part of your livelihood, especially, you learn when you spend that much time with an instrument, especially a freaking acoustic instrument, like, like this mandolin, you get to learn its different moods, its different proclivities. It, yeah. You'll say, oh, it's acting up. Ooh. Yeah. It's sounding good today because it really does change based on humidity, temperature. Right. I was going to say, you know how it's going to react to the environment that you're in. You get to know that. And there are some things that you don't know how it's going to react. And, and it yeah. is reacting based on mysterious mandolin things. Two things. Speaking of mandolin, Chris Thiele has a joke, guarantee you it's not original, that half of the time a mandolinist spends his time tuning a mandolin, the other half he spends playing out of tune. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny yeah. and accurate. Yeah, mandolins are tricky to, to tune. Yeah, when he's playing with Nickel Creek, he's always the one that has to stop and tune, and it's because he has, he says, he has twice as many strings as anybody else on the stage. But also the idea of a musician having that dedication and infatuation with their instrument. I mean, it goes to show when you see someone who's been playing a guitar for 30, 40 years. Yeah. You can see how worn the guitar gets. They don't get a new guitar. They don't fix it up. They play it until it falls apart because it is, it's an appendage to them. And, you know, you do replace parts of it. You know, you could replace right. the whole top soundboard. You can get a new soundboard, but it's still the same instrument. And it's a very intense relationship. So yeah. having anything stolen from you feels invasive, feels terrible. Having an instrument stolen from you or damage, oh my God. Yeah. And I'm sure that Martin Barr's mandolin was also not a cheap Probably not. At this point, they had the money. Yeah. Very well-made, very, very, very expensive mandolin. So I can only imagine how upset Martin is at this point in the story. Right. You know, often with Ian Anderson's writing, we get, you know, the first six lines are all place setting. Mm -hmm. But with this, we have the whole story in one line. Marty loved the sound of the soul and mandolin. Boom. Opening line, we already know what the situation is. Yeah. But has he stolen a mandolin and he really likes the sound? You know, I mean, it could be the other way around. It could be that as well. Somebody took it on a dare in the nighttime, ran up to the radio calling out to the wind. Now bring it, bring it back at least an hour before flight time. Somebody took it on a dare in the nighttime. Ran up to the radio calling out to the wind. I love this idea that they're broadcasting on the local radio. Hey, we know the mandolin is out there. Somebody please bring it back to us. Yeah, we are leaving. We are flying out of this area at this time. Please bring it back. Also, it makes so much sense. You know, yeah, you, I'm sure they alerted the police and there's reference to the police in this, but mm -hmm. that is the most logical way to try to get it back. Hey, yeah, you got it. Okay, it's really important to us. Can you please just bring it back? Yeah. It was a souvenir, but it was a right arm missing. It was a souvenir, but it was a right arm missing. What a great line. I love it so much. You know, that's another theme with artists as well. Something that to anyone else is just, oh yeah, this random thing. Oh yeah, it's just a, it's just a mandolin. Yeah. Oh, it's Martin Barr's mandolin. I've got his mandolin. But to Martin... 
That's literally his right arm. Right. He knows it like the back of his hand. It is an extension of his being. It is an yes. appendage. Yeah. Absolutely. Swap a woodwork rhythm for a humbucking top line. Swap a woodwork rhythm for a humbucking top line. What is humbucking? I think that's a part of the guitar. Yeah. It's the thing that picks up in an electric guitar. It's the thing that picks up the vibrations. It's the thing at the bottom of the neck. Gotcha. So I imagine that there was a conversation, you know, what if they didn't have a backup mandolin? Maybe it was like, oh my God, we have to figure out how to do the whole rest of this tour with the electric guitar swapping in for the mandolin parts. That's a tough ask as well. Sorry, going back to Humbuck, I think it's also called a pickup, if that's a better reference. Yeah. And then we have the antagonist. We have the dark antihero of the song, Big Riff. Tough Boy wants to be a singer in a band. This is what I love about this song is that everything is so unexpected. He's giving us character development of this. It's not just some asshole who stole Martin's mandolin and is to sell it. Is secondarily referenced and he's always just this kind of cloaked figure of the bad guy. We've got human drive here. Yeah. We've got personality almost here. A little slow in the brain box, but he had a quick right hand. A little slow in the brain box, but he had a quick right hand. I mean, great. It reminds me of like Lenny from Of Mice and Men. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. He pets the mandolin and crushes it. <laughs> Think about the flutes, Lenny. Think about the flutes. <laughs> Think about the flutes. <laughs> run left, run right, everywhere he look. Nobody watching. No, but that was all he took last night. Run left, run right, everywhere he look. Nobody watching, no, but that was all he took last night. So again, you know, developing the story, you know, like you said, not just, oh, somebody sold a mandolin because of theft, because of crime reasons. Somebody sold a mandolin because in their mind, they are also a musician. And this is their way of yeah. making a connection. Right. If you're mediocre at best, how do you, how do you show your chops? It's like, oh, I'm, I'm using Martin Barr's mandolin. That's the draw. That goes back ages, you know, like the idea of a relic. That's why people want to touch the relic of saints so they can get transferred to them a portion of that holiness. I have St. Thomas's foreskin in a locket around my neck. That's right. Yes, you do. That's true. Yes, you do. I have St. Francis's mandolin. <laughs> Which you stole from him. Which I stole from him. Did not return an hour before the flight. He was no. pissed. I also love the phrase running on the power of a stolen mandolin. So we've talked about mm. theft. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've talked about my crimes, which are past the statute of limitations. But there is a little thrill that comes with any sort of theft. Oh, sure. The adrenaline, yeah. I can only imagine, you know, what it would feel like to steal something of actual value, you yeah. know, of actual import. That must be an incredible rush. And I'm not saying that that justifies it at all. It's not just value in like monetary. It's not like he stole a diamond, you know. He stole something that is connected to someone. He stole something of value that's spiritual and uh, emotional. Imagine if you stole the football off of the Thanksgiving Day game stadium. Yes, I'm imagining that. What if you stole one cleat off of a running thick back? <laughs> well, I mean, that's probably actually fairly accurate given that sports players, athletes are super 
specific and superstitious about their about everything for their game you know yes oh yes if i have to wear a new pair of cleats for this game how am i going to play yeah i don't know it is an unknown variable and will therefore affect me even if there's nothing physically different nothing at all psychologically it will bork your mind So this is the point in the song where it really starts to take an interesting turn. We've already had the setup of the object in question, the situation, and the antagonist. And now we have the point where it should turn into a boring story, but doesn't. (laughs) Running on the power of a stolen mandolin, steal a little inspiration, steal a little muscle. Wake in the morning, was it really worth it? I can imagine Ian being very calm-headed about this and saying, don't worry, Marty, no doubt the criminal will return the mandolin and in any way we have it insured. You know, yeah. so the idea that like, yeah, probably they're going to bring it back and, and worst case scenario, yeah, we lost it. We'll figure it out. Yeah. But then the line, come on, make a little deal, yeah, make a little hustle. So make a little deal, yeah, make a little hustle. Is this why this guy stole it? Just to fence it? Just to sell it? But indeed not. So now we have where it gets really interesting. Ring in on the radio. Ring in on the radio. So they put out this radio call. Please call the station if you have the mandolin. Somebody calls in. Got a proposition for those English boys. I'll make the sing song, you can make the background noise. One, two, three, four, one bar and in. Give you back the mando if you'll let this singer sing tonight. Got a proposition for those English boys. Yeah. What an insane thing to do. The huevos, the cojones on this guy. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. Going to the sports metaphor, can you imagine me like, yes, I have stolen the Stanley Cup and I will give it back to you as long as you put me on the team for the starting play of the next game. Right. Put me in coach. I know how to skate. What's the logic behind that? Like, oh, yeah, sure. I promise you we'll do that. And then you go to hand it back in and there are the police there, you know, like. And I think, you know, that's why we have the line a little slow in the brain box. Fair enough. Yeah. But also I can understand the logic of it. Imagine if somebody was like, you know, imagine if your greatest inspiration was to be a rock star. And you idolize this band, but you're slightly psychopathic. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So you idolize this band. Therefore, you think automatically they're going to be on their so- on your side. Yeah. I like you. So why wouldn't you like me? Mm. Now I have something that you value. Yeah. So let's make a deal. Maybe I was in the general vicinity of the audience when you looked out there during the show. And, sure. and we, we connected, Ian. I saw you. Martin looked directly at me. He told me, he looked directly at me while he was playing this mandolin. I just knew what he was saying to me. Yeah. He said, it's mine now. <laughs> I know you wrote Crest of a Knave about me. <laughs> I'm the yes. knave. I'm the knave. But I can also imagine somebody, you know, thinking to themselves, oh, this is how I'm going to start my career. As seen yeah. on the Jethro Tull concert. Yeah. Oh, remember when he played with the Jethro Tull? Oh, yeah. 
It reminds me of, you know, one of my favorite hip hop outfits, the Wu-Tang Clan. I thought it was the Digital Underground. Oh, there are another one. Oh, okay. But the Wu-Tang Clan, they were a bunch of really kind of rough guys from Staten Island. And there was a famous story about them. They had just recorded their first album, Enter the 37 Chambers. And there's this radio DJ who tells the story of, you know, he was DJing his regular set and a bunch of guys suddenly walked into his booth and he was like, how in the hell did you get in here? Who, who are you? And they were like, yo, man, you're going to play this record right now. And he was like, I don't even, first of all, we have security. How are you even in here? You want me to play what? They handed him a mixtape and they were like, if you know what's good for you, man, you're going to play this. And it was, and it was the 37 Chambers. So he was like, all right, I mean, you're going to beat me up if I don't. So here we have Wu-Tang Clan with 37 Chambers, protect your neck. And that was like one of their first times on the radio. And it took off. People loved it. People kept calling and being like, hey, can you play that track again? Oh, cool. So crazier things have been successful. Yeah. The chances of success are probably fairly slim, given how many times people have made the attempt and utterly bombed and failed. Well, this is such a stupid way of doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got some more repetition here. We've got the running on the power of the stolen mandolin. Marty loved the sound of the stolen mandolin. And then we continue in the story. Now it's four o'clock and we're waiting at the sound check. Now it's four o'clock and we're waiting at the sound check. I love the timing of all this, that it's like, you know, we have the deadline of the flight. We have the deadline of the next show. There are all these very critical moments in time. Yeah. And presumably they said, yes, come and sing with us. Give us the mandolin back. Yeah. Well, what else are they going to say? Yeah. The guys got their got their hostage. Yeah. And then we go into that, my game plan of bringing the cops because we've got looking for a face staring in from the sunshine. I just love that that imagery. Yeah. This kind of shadowy figure looking in backlit from the sun. Imagine he's a, he's a huge stature and he's got the tiny little mandolin case. Yeah, right, right. We got two strong lawmen from the sheriff's office. They're going to lift Big Riff before he plays the first line. We got two strong lawmen from the sheriff's office. We're going to lift Big Riff before he plays the first line. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Big Riff, Rough Boy, wants to be a singer in a band. Yeah, help him on the stage now. Put the microphone in his hand. Think hard, think right. Nothing in his mind. Nothing in his mind. <laughs> so Riff did a runner, but he left the mandolin behind, behind. Big Riff, Rough Boy, wants to be a singer in a band. Yeah, help him on the stage now. Put that microphone in Imagine being Ian in this moment, being like, all right, now, folks, we have a special guest going to play. I mean, was that at the concert or was that the sound check? Was it like, yeah, what was the deal that was struck? Because obviously you have to protect yourself. It could be quite a dangerous situation. I mean, they don't know this person. Maybe he's violent. Yeah. Wasn't Ian like kind of accosted on stage once or twice? Didn't I'm that sure. Happen? I'm sure. I mean, yeah. they've been touring for so many years. I'm sure crazy. Crazy, violent, you know, crazy and dangerous things have happened. Yeah. 
So I love that the stakes are so high in this story. The stakes for Big Riff are so high because he's going to get to sing. He's stolen this priceless object in order to get to sing with his favorite band. Mm -hmm. And the consequences, I mean, it is a bit Prometheus. He literally has stolen fire from the gods. Mm -hmm. He's stolen this fire object from the gods of rock. And he might get to give the fire to humanity, or he could be locked uh, against a rock for ages while Eagle picks his liver out. Right. And ultimately, he can't follow through. He gets scared off. He drops the mandolin. He gets smart and realizes it's a setup. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, obviously, yeah. So he, he did a runner, and he le- but he left the mandolin behind. Happy situation for everybody. He didn't get put in jail. He's still out there in the world writing his yeah. crime ballads. His manifesto, who knows? Yeah. Oh, man. I wonder if he has an album. Maybe it was Gerald Bostock. <laughs> the all villain. It's all coming together now. Part of the reason that I think this is Eastern Europe is because of the line, I'll make the sing song. Uh, you can make the background noise. <laughs> that, I mean, it do- that does seem very anecdotal, very, very much a quote. Yeah, you're right. It also seems, you know, if it were some places, if it was New York City, the place would be like, well, you're never going to get it back. Or we just shot a dude in the alley and, uh, and we also shot the mandolin that he had. <laughs> it's now covered in blood. There's different ways that this would happen in different places in the world. And I think that, the, you know, the idea of, okay, we're going to put a message out on the radio. If somebody called back, they want to play with you. And that's going to be the, that's your best option. That's like, yeah. Yeah. That's the bait. That feels like Eastern Europe for some reason. Don't know why. Nick, anything else to say about Big Riff and Mando? Mm, no. No, I, no, I got nothing. Have you ever had anything precious stolen from you besides your heart? Oh, what a good question. I don't think so. No, fortunately, I'm very lucky in that regard. My dad, when he worked in Syracuse in construction, he had his tools stolen out of the back oh, of his truck. Oh, golly. Many times. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. That sucked. I mean, people get shit stolen from them in college all the time. You know, people walk away with other people's phones and laptops and stuff. That never happened to me, fortunately. I mean, we didn't really have phones back then. We had just a shitty little flip phone, but yeah. And now I'm like, I'm not anywhere. So uh, (laughs) there's nobody around to do anything like steal stuff from me. You know, what about you? Have you ever been on the other end, you fiend? I've been, I've had some stuff stolen from me. Yeah, I think I've mentioned this that my first 24 hours in Paris, I had my phone and wallet stolen from me. That's right. Yeah. By Romani street girls. Yeah. Didn't they like try to sell you a newspaper or something? And then they put the paper down was, over yeah. your stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It was an amazing yeah. bit of sleight of hand. A couple of years back, somebody broke into the cabin and stole a bunch of my dad's guns. Really? I didn't know that. Oh yeah. Wow. And that felt terrible. You know, you feel so powerless yeah you you know you think like oh maybe there's some things that i can do and then but you know that there's nothing you know it's gone yeah you can try to tell the police but like right you know in the case of the guns he did yeah you certainly want to do it for that and of course nothing's come of it yeah but it does feel you know there's a sense of desperation that it causes and a sense of almost being displaced somehow i don't know yeah, there's a violation there of like, what is safe now for me? There's a violin nation. Welcome to the violin nation. Here's your passport. The screechiest nation ever. Was it just the guns? Was nothing else taken? There was some other stuff taken. I, I forget all what 
they did miss some of the some stuff, which was good. What about the family of raccoons? Did they survive? They were the thieves. <laughs> Those sons of bitches, I knew it. <laughs> they didn't do anything to stop the intruders. <laughs> they pointed out where the guns were. Yeah. Roman, do you know what we're talking about next week? As a matter of fact, just because it's a special occasion, I do. Oh, we will be talking reviews about the album. We certainly will. We will also be telling you the strange tale of Martin Alcock. And because it is those things that we are talking, it is an indicator that it is, in fact, the final track off of the album. The final track titled Strange Avenues. Strange? avenues yeah until next week however you could probably fence the mandolin that you stole and make enough money to probably get a year's worth of tall skull plus subscription at patreon which gets you access to our discord gets you access to the video of these podcasts and the two additional podcasts, only audio. Oh, no, actually not true, because our feckless episodes are mostly on video now at this point. So two video podcasts and Outtake Tall to Me, which is just audio. If you want a little inspiration, you don't have to steal it. You can purchase it from our Tee Public page in the form of a branded Talk Tall to Me t-shirt now available in tie-dye. <laughs> at this point, it's, it's not news that it's in tie-dye. Still available in tie-dye. Yeah. Until next week, I'm Rough Boy Omen Thomas Said. I am the face staring in from the sunshine, Nick McGill. We'll make a little sing-song as the feckless moms. And this is the proposition from those upstate New York boys. Talk tall to me. Talk to me as a proud member of the Feckless Moms Audio Network.